Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange, stories by leaders for leaders to help you to raise the bar on your own performance and to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's episode. Hello again, this is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. In this series, The Nonprofit Exchange, we interview guests each week. We're going on almost eight years with uh, almost 300 episodes. Never has there been one like this. This has been a great six months. We've had very unique presenters on topics that we've sort of covered it in the past, but they've been uniquely qualified to speak differently about topics that are valuable to leaders anywhere, but most especially valuable for leaders in the nonprofit sector. So today's episode has a really cool title, Leading with Style, How Your Unique Personality Drives Success and Creates Conflict. My guest today is Rick Cromie. Rick, tell people a little bit about yourself and why are you doing this work that you do? Well, thank you, Hugh, first of all, first of all for the opportunity to be on uh, your wonderful podcast. Everybody out there in podcast land, it's good to be uh, journeying with you for the next several minutes. Uh, my name is Rick Cromie, and I am a nonprofit uh, guy. I run a faith-based nonprofit called MANA Educational uh, Services International. Uh, we service primarily uh, churches and schools, uh, businesses, organizations with leadership training, uh, parent training, pastoral training, and uh, teacher training, just depending on what particular audience that they need. And we focus uh, primarily on uh, helping, uh, doing things through what we call edutrainment. We're, we're kind of a cut above. We're not about just delivering a workshop. We want it to be something different. And so we do a lot of inspirational edutrainment Um through our resources and such. Uh, what I do per, on a per, more personal level, I'm a cultural historian, I'm a professor, I'm an author, uh, I, I'm a pastor. And uh, essentially, um, I, I help people to uh, interpret history, navigate culture and explore faith in order to uh, experience transformative change in their lives and in the lives of others. That is awesome. And we just kind of found each other by luck, but we've really resonated in our pre-interview session. And um, I'm just excited about what you're talking about today. So how did you come up with this title? This is a very, how leading with style, how your unique personality drives success and creates conflict. Say a little bit about that, please. Well, it actually came out of my educational uh from from the classroom, I was teaching teachers how to teach, and I talked about teaching with style. And as I started looking at these um, these quadrants and these ways that we kind of define leadership, I realized that it had or teaching. I realized it had a lot of applications towards leaders, and so I did a little bit of conversion, if you will. But uh, teaching with style is a little bit different than leading with style. But in the end, it became a, a very powerful way to look at who you are how you operate, how you lead, and then ultimately why there are those who are naturally attracted to you, naturally engaged with you and that style, and then how there are those who come into conflict. And it explains a lot of the conflicts that we have as you know, what we call personality conflicts, and they tend to be driven by our leadership style. So 
how is personality the same as style or are they different things? Uh, that's a great question. You know, a lot of people ask me, well, am I born a leader? You know, and I go, I don't know if there's any other way to become a leader. I, I mean, you know, are they hatched? Uh, obviously, everybody is born. Uh, and I think leadership is something that uh, emerges. It's it, the most simplest name for it is it's or definition for it is it leadership is is influence. So it's the ability to influence others. But style and personality, we all have we all have a, a personality that kind of is grooved by the environment that we grow up in and some of the influences that we have. I think style is more something that's more nature. It's more natural. We are born with a particular bent towards a particular style. We're either active or we're passive in our, our personalities uh, and our styles. We're either um, you know, cognitive or more emotive. And it's just, it's just interesting to watch how that plays out when we look at leadership and the applications of leadership. So there's a lot of um, <clears throat> instruments for us to dis discern our preferences, like uh, the disc or the Myers-Briggs. Uh, and there's just lots of those, which, so I, I, um, I discovered I'm an extrovert, duh, <laughs> in the Myers-Briggs, but you're taking it to a, a little different characteristic. So there's, and I've put this on the webpage for our, for our conversation, you've given them some very unique names. So you've identified four types of leadership personalities. Can you talk about those? Yeah. When it comes to leadership um, inventories that are out there, there are, I mean, there are so many. Uh, I think it was Socrates or Plato, one of those old Greek guys had the original um, divisions, if you will, phlegmatic and um uh, sanguine and penguin. I think there's some of the other ones in there. No, I mean, we don't even remember them. And that was part of the problem. As a professor, I was trying to think of, of a, a way to make something that's very difficult, easy. Uh, I mean, I don't even know. I think about Myers-Briggs and, you know, INTJ and ESTN and ESPN and, you know, LIMO, whatever. I mean, there's all these different, what, what do they mean? And it just makes it more difficult. And yes, they're very helpful. And once you do an inventory like that, you can kind of do a deep dive into who you are. But I think there's a simpler way to look at leadership. You're either active or you're passive. You're either emotive or you're cognitive. And when you break that down, uh, you know, for example, active, passive. If you're an extrovert, you tend to be more active in how you approach life. If you're introverted, you tend to be more passive. Uh, on a cognitive, emotive level, some of us just think with these, with with just lists in our head. We think with, I have like I call a post-it note brain, where I have these post-it notes all over my head, where I just I just go through the list. To me, my day is not satisfactory until I have my list marked off. I just have a, it just happens, that's the way I roll. Other leaders I know, uh, and other people I know, have more of an emotive approach. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with this. None of these styles are more better or, or more successful or anything. You can be successful in every one of these styles, each one of these quadrants that I'm going to share with you. But the bottom line is, is that each one is very different. So um, let's talk about some of the qualities, the game show host. What? The, game, the game show host is my, um, is my fun guy. And gal, I mean, these are leaders who are emotive in their um, in their wiring, but they're also active. 
And so game show hosts are very, we have a word for it in our culture day, ADHD, uh, but they can also be ADD, you know, uh, attention deficit disorder. I mean, they just really, but they're, they're just very emotive. They love people. Uh, that is probably the biggest part of their personality is they're very attractive. They're a spark in the room. When they walk into uh, any type of, of moment, they, they just light up the room. That's a game show host. They, people are naturally attracted to them. Initially, you are even attracted to their vision. The problem with the game show host is because they're more emotive than cognitive is a lot of times they haven't thought through their vision. And so they haven't thought of the steps to get to their vision. And so they don't even know how to necessarily accomplish their vision. They just got this big idea. And consequently, they, people can start to drop off. That's the negative uh, side of, of that particular style. But they are an inspirational type of leader. And they, they, they're just wonderful to be around. They're fun to be around. And people enjoy them. So that, you know, I, I'm, <clears throat> I'm relating to that one. Uh, People call me a mushroom because I am a fun guy. So it's the, it's the, uh, it's the uh, part of it is the work of Walter Tomlin later expanded on by Murray Bowen, the uh, oldest, the sibling position. And I am, I am hopelessly the oldest brother of brothers. You know, you make the rules. And then you go down the, the next one. I don't, I like this rule and that, that rule. The youngest one is there's rules. So there's, you know, there's, there's, we're born into that. So to your, there's a, there's a, there's an impact, our family of origin, our multi-generational and, and Bowen's work, but also um, claiming who we are. And I want to highlight what you said. There's not a bad or good to this. There's just, uh, we are different. And that really makes life interesting. So I'm going to let you go through these four. And then we're going to talk about the points of conflict, uh, the, this topic, the fictional, fictional topic of conflict in the church or conflict in nonprofit. So let's, we'll come back to that because that, that's going to be lively. So the characteristics of a chef. Right, well, the chef is also an active leader, but they're cognitive, not emotive. And this is what is interesting. Um, when we look at the highest levels of leadership, I'm talking CEOs, um, academic deans, presidents, those high level um, positions, 75 to 80% of these positions are filled with people who are from the chef personality or the chef style. Uh, that's intriguing to me. Uh, like I just said, any, any one of these uh, uh, styles can be highly successful, but there is a certain uh, style that does tend to gravitate towards the highest levels. When you look at presidents, for example, uh, they do tend to fall into this uh, chef uh, motif. And, and the, the reason is fairly simple. Chefs have the ability, they're active leaders. They have the ability to capture a vision and then know the steps to get there. They can outline each part of where you need to go to get what we need to do to get where we're going. Uh, and as a nonprofit guy, you know, I'm a chef. And I think that's part of what, why I was so drawn naturally. Yes, initially why I did this. I'm, I'm passionate about the work that I do because, you know, I just feel there's a great need within uh, churches and schools and, and organizations out there for training uh, and, and fun training, you know, clever training, inspirational training. And the steps, I literally started with $500 worth of support and nothing else. And the steps, the first thing I knew I had to do, for example, was to get uh, 501c3. I had to get that status for, for those who are going to be giving. 
I went through every one of those steps. I could see them and I'm still seeing them. I'm five years into this and I know what the next step is to take us to the next level. And that's called visionary leadership. And chefs just have that innate ability. We have that post-it note in the head with the steps that show how to get there. Game show hosts, if they're smart, will bring a chef alongside. They'll work with a, a chef to, to, to experience or to grow their vision uh, because there's nothing better than having a chef there to help you. Now, on the other side there, the passive side is our two personalities that are very distinct and their passivity often um, produces, um, well, we, we just don't know. We can see they're on our teams, but we often don't see them on our teams. And especially if you're an active personality. Let me start with the passive cognitive. I call them the stage manager. Now, you remember the game show host? The game show host, like you, Hugh, you like to be on stage. You like to be out front. You like the spotlight. Stage managers do not. They prefer to be backstage side stage but they have something in their hands that is like the law to them it's called the script and they want you they as a leader they want you to stay on script i find a lot of um academic deans for example in the area of education are stage manager types and they really struggle with their game show host professors because the game show host professors you know they go off and they do their curriculum and sometimes they do it and sometimes they don't follow curriculum and and but these these scripted passive um, uh, personalities they're they're very um they're very effective uh, they, if they have a tendency to do anything that's on the negative side it might be micromanage a bit they become uh, maybe per per or per, excuse me analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis I'll get it out wow. Uh, but you know, that's, that's their type of personality on the other side of the passive is the counselor. And they're one of my favorites because the counselor is passive and emotive. They're very connected to people, but they do not like risk. They do not like competition. They do not like conflict. They're great at mod moderating, which is why I call them the counselor type. They they're one-on-one -on -one type of people. And this is the problem you know, when, when it comes to conflict. And, and maybe we can, I'll pause there before we go into conflict, but you're going to see that the counselors and the chefs are going to have a lot of problems, the stage managers and the um, game show hosts conflict. That's, that's because of their, their preferred style of how they operate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's very simple. When you think about it, if you're a chef, like, like you and I, uh, we relate on, on the active side. We, we are both active leaders, so we can go, okay, I get that. We're, we're there. Where we have an issue is that you maybe don't have that, uh, that um, uh, the plan in place necessarily. I'm always, I've always got a plan. I've always got something, something cooking there. I've got, that's the menu is, is what's important. And, and by the way, let me say this too, because there's always this question when I do this workshop and help leaders understand their leadership style. They say, well, I feel like I'm kind of both. You know, I feel like I'm kind of in the middle or I feel like I'm, 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 I'm both. And I say, well, first of all, if you feel like you're both, that absolutely is an evidence that you are probably a feeler. You're probably more emotive than you are cognitive because cognitives know that they're cognitive where the emotives, they struggle with this. The other thing is recognize that you may not be very deep into your, your quadrant in particular areas. I am an extrovert leader, but I have a lot of introversion in my life. When I'm out speaking and, and on the road and stuff, 
I, I'm out there. People basically drain me. That's intro, introverts, introverts experience that all the time. People drain them. And, you know, after I'm done with a day, you know, I'm not, in, I'm not fired up by all the people. I tend to be more drained by it. And I just have to, you know, get away and find solitude. So I'm, I'm mildly an extrovert, but I have a lot of introversion. On the other hand, you may be, I'm, my strength as far as cognitive is I'm deep cognitive. I have a, you know, I can see the script and I'm very deep. So I tend to struggle then with the emotives. I struggle then with the people side. I remember one time I was walking down the hallway at, at a church where I was working. It was a Sunday morning. And I had that list in my head of about 10 things that I had to accomplish in the next uh, 10 minutes. And someone came up to me and, and, you know, they just, they didn't say much to me. Actually, to tell you the truth, they didn't say anything to me. They just walked by and said, you know, waved and, and smiled at me and said, hello. And then I found out later that I was, um, I didn't, I didn't recognize them smiling or saying hello or waving at me. I just was kind of on my mission. And, you know, I, I got a, I got a critique on that, that you need to be more cognizant of people around you. Well, that's my style, my style, because I'm very deep cognitive, I can get very easily connected to the list, to the, to the program that I forget the people you know, the cognitives can do that so often. Stage managers can get so caught up in the program, in the, in what they're trying to get done, the script that they forget there's actually people on stage. That is amazing. So there's a strength in, in your profile is also a liability with that yes, in excess, in excess. So our, our gifts are sometimes our, our problems. So when you talk about these, it also occurs to me that that's our preferred style, but it doesn't necessarily play out in every situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and this is this is also very interesting because I I look at it like a car. You know, I have a car that when I take my hands off the wheel, it naturally goes one way or the other. It just it just goes. It doesn't matter how many times I try to get it calibrated and fixed and all that stuff. It just, the minute I take my hands off the wheels, it just, I think the same thing happens with our style. We naturally, given our, if we're free, if we're in a free moment, we naturally are either active or passive, or we're either cognitive or emotive. That's our natural bent, if you will. However, you have noted, and it is true that if you are in a situation where you have to be, you know, let's say you're a stage manager leader, but you know, you have to go on stage. You have to be a game show host. You have to pump people up. You have to, you know, get out there and, and be the, the person at the front of the line, at the front of the vision. That's very uncomfortable, but you can do it. You just can't do it for very long, which is why I really believe when I, when I, when I help uh, people with this, staff with this and teams with this, is that you need to have people on your team with all four quadrants being represented. You know, I, I love my counselors, for example, because I'm as a chef, I get so gung ho about getting something done that I miss the people. I miss the fact that, you know, chefs will burn up the kitchen to create the best recipe. They don't mind fire. They love fire. Uh, but a counselor, absolutely not. The less fire, the better. We don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to, we don't want to create conflict. We don't, and, and so they, they live by that mantra. And so you can see how they would really conflict against each other. But I love and learned to love my counselors because they, they bring me back. I can lose I can lose so much of that, that people energy 
uh, or, or the people focused in my in my program. Yeah, and, that's underneath you. You identified, and I, I'm 100 with you that f- fundamentally leadership is influence. Mm-hmm. But, but under underneath leadership that is critical is relationship. And what you just hit on is we tend to be so into something we we forget about the relationship part. Um, so talk about relationship and also talk about these are preferred styles that we might fit into. We don't have to. So if, if we try to be something we're not, that sometimes is a problem for leaders. Right, right. And what's interesting is that I, I want to argue again, they are preferred. Because if you're married, chances are you've married your exact opposite. And why did you do that? It's because they fill in the weaknesses for you and you fill in the weaknesses for them. Their strengths are not your strengths. Your strengths are not their strengths. And so there's a blending there. That's why counselors and chefs are direct opposites. Stage managers and game show hosts are direct opposites. But if you look in the marital culture, you know, and for married people, many of us married the opposite. A game show host will often marry, marry a stage manager. A chef will often marry um, a, a counselor. In fact, I did. My wife, Linda, is a counselor. She's very passive. She's very emotive. She doesn't say much. But there are times where I, I, then, I basically settle down and stop and I ask her, I say, okay, what should I be doing here? Who, who am I causing a problem with? Who do you see I'm causing a problem with? And, and she'll, she'll lay it out. Oh yeah. And I go, I never thought of that. So she brings me back. She keeps me dialed in to make me a better leader and game show hosts. It's the same way. You need those stage managers on your team because they're the type of people you can get out ahead on the vision and totally miss the opportunity to move the organization forward but your stage managers are going, Hey, come on, you know, and they're going to be the first to quit by the way, stage managers, your passives always drop off first because they don't feel like you're listening to them. On the other hand, chefs, they'll hang around just long. This is where game show hosts have a little bit of a problem. Chefs will hang along well enough just because they kind of like the vision. But once they realize that you don't have a, a real plan for it, they, they knock off, you know, it just, it's the way it works. So wow, wow. So the um, the differences are useful. I, I studied the art of facilitation. Uh, most people think they can run meetings, but you know we suck at running meetings. Suck is halfway to success. And <laughs> bad meetings are like bad rehearsals. You're going to have a bad result. And we're building in a, a low performing culture because we haven't really thought through the the system. And like you, I'm a teacher. We think about learning objectives. We have outcomes that we're focused on in engaging people in the, the whole act of learning is important. But, but thinking about the differences, I, when I studied facilitation many years ago, building the project team was important. And you want to have, like you just described, people with different backgrounds. So I've been doing this diversity thing for 40 years, and it, it, it slices different ways. And you really want to have somebody that really doesn't know about what you're doing, but is an outsider. So if you have a, like for instance, if I have a planning team for a music concert and they're all musicians, then we're going to have lots of blind spots. We have some people that maybe have music as a hobby, you know, two out of 10 and maybe one out of 10 doesn't know anything about music, but they're going to be in the audience and they can say, wait, wait a minute, you're missing the mark here. So learning to look at those differences 
in perspective and style as a value. How hard is that for leaders? Well, it's very hard because as leaders, we tend to like people of the same style near us. But can you imagine three game show hosts together on the same staff leading a staff? It'd be chaos, you know? It would be, it'd be fun chaos. I mean, you would have a lot of fun at it. Uh, there'd be a lot of energy in the room, but it would be, it, nothing would get done. Same thing with the chefs. You got to look at, if you have three chefs as your primary leaders, I mean, you're, they're, they're your upper leadership, your executive leadership, let's use that word, three, three chefs, every one of them is going to have a different recipe for success, for how they're going to be effective in their work or how they make that school more effective or that organization more effective or that church more effective, whatever it might be. And the problem with that is every one of those recipes are going to be different. And now you become agenda driven in the leadership. Can you imagine three? Well, you wouldn't have three stage managers or three counselors hanging around for very long because nothing again would get done. The stage managers would literally argue for months on end about the plans and nothing would ever get executed because no one's, everyone's afraid to actually execute a plan. Counselors would be the same way. You get three high-functioning or high-level executive counselors in the same uh, team, they'd all be worried about who they're going to offend, worried about who's going to be miffed, worried about who's going to be upset, and nothing would ever get done. I, I think we're naturally designed to have each one of these on a team. And if you as a leader start with that and recognize that, hey, I want each one of my, you know, for me, it's my board of directors. You know, as a nonprofit guy, I have a board of directors over me Every one of my board of directors is from a different style. I purposely have done that. I want them to, opt because they keep the whole organization moving forward. I, I, I need those passives. I, I need those, I need that, that stage manager in my, on my board to say, you know, wait a minute here, before we go gung-ho into this new, new vision of Rick's or, or our chair, you know, who's more of a game show host guy, maybe we need to think this thing through a little bit more have we considered this or the counselor who comes along and on, on the board and says oh you know this this is good but it's going to create some issues with this particular segment of our of our people that we work with you know is that what we want that is so important i need to think through those things yeah my board yeah. needs to think through those things we do want to be aligned in core values and guiding principles so we're, we're on the same page However, we might see those differently and have different perspectives, which to me is a real gift. Mm -hmm. So um, let's talk a little bit about where people can find you. Um, the, the organization is called MANA, and yeah. people are listening on the audio. They have to go to the website to see the, the, the link. But it's it, tell us about MANA. What will people, uh, MANA Solutions, M-A-N-N-A Solutions.org. What will people find when they go there? Well, manna, our namesake, comes from the Old Testament. It was the food that God fed the Israelites when they were in the desert. And it was something of, of a surprise to them. They just woke up one day, and here on the, on the ground was this white stuff. We don't know what it actually looked like or what, but it was, it was white stuff, probably like a Rice Krispies, but it was uh, nutritious. It was obviously tasted good. And they called it manna. And the Hebrew word for manna is what is it? So I love that. When they, when they said, well, what is this? They said, exactly. It's manna. Manna means what is it? So that's the heart of what we do. We want to create nutritious 
if you will, informational, helpful uh, resources that um, th that are um, fun, that are curious. We call ourselves divinely curious. Everything we do is divinely curious and, and such. So we're resource-based. I have a, a weekly email that goes to about 800 subscribers right now, actually more than that. Uh, we're getting up close to 850 subscribers. And we have one of the highest open rates in the business. Uh, I, we're, we're now knocking on 30% every single day. 30% of our clients that, that get our email open it up. And that's because they get something that they're not going to get anywhere else. They get original content that comes from me. Uh, I'm a creator. Uh, they get photography they can only get from me. They get insights from culture. They get historical on this day in history, uh, memes and, and other helpful things uh, to just start the day. It's, we call it the cup of Joe. It, it's, it's just a, a coffee for your brain to get you started every single day. Uh, we have a life group. Uh, for those who are more in the faith-based side of things, we have a life group and, uh, where we just gather. We do Zoom as well as in-person, in-house. We meet and we just study the Bible. Uh, we explore faith and see what it means. Uh, so there are a lot of different areas that we operate, but our primary thing is insight and inspiration. That's our focus. That's who we are. So uh, behind you, there's a book. Tell us a little bit about the book. Well, as a, as a youth pastor and as a youth ministry professor for many years, I did a lot of teaching on generations and understanding, you know, the younger generations. And I, I just started doing a lot of talking and writing on it. And, and pretty soon people started saying, you need to put this into a bit more of a, of a book. And I said, okay. And that's kind of where it came from. Gentech is, is an argument against the common frames, the labels that we use to define generations, baby boomers or Gen X or millennials or, uh, you know, Gen Z, which is actually Gen Z was why I wrote the book. I got literally miffed at the whole idea that we're calling another generation by an alphabet tag because they're not Gen Z. Uh, they're, anyone born since 2000 is more defined by the technologies. I call them the iTechs, the iTechnologies of you know iTunes and iPods and iPads and iPhones. Those were the technologies. And that's what the book is about. It goes back to 1900, Hugh, and it literally walks us through the, the 20th century and into the 21st century, all the way to the year 2055. And it, it outlines, uh, outlines the various generations about every 20 years uh, along the way, but there is uh, every 10 years, a new technology is popping that uh, during our come of age, coming of age years, we tend to, to find, um, uh, well, tattoos are, for lack of a better word, tattoos are personality, our generational personality. And that's what the book's about. It's getting great reviews and, and such, but I'm trying to just get us away from these bad names for generations and to analyze us more to, to understand who we are more through a technological frame. Uh, we're the television and space generation. Uh, not baby boomers. We're the cable television and, and game video game generation, not Gen X. We're the cell phone, personal computer, and net generation, not millennials. Uh, it's not as sexy, but I got to tell you, it's more accurate. And I think that's where we need to be with generational analysis. It's not about marketing. It's about analysis that creates solutions. And that's what everybody's wanting to do today. How do we understand these generations? Well, that's what I help you do. Not just in the book, but I also do trainings 
on that as well. So can people find this information on the website, MANA? You can find some of that on MANA, but because this, this work is actually a different type of work that I do, uh, rickchromie.com is the starting spot for that one. And that's, that's my more, um, for lack of a better word, non-faith-based work is where Gentech's at. C-H-R-O-M-E-Y. It's like the browser with the Y. That's right. Just think Chrome at a Y. RickChromie.com. And come join me in the journey. And I got to tell you, I would love to, to share with any of your listeners, any of your uh, followers, you know, come, come to your organizations. Come, I'm, I do a lot of keynote speaking. I do a lot of uh, uh, workshops and such for conferences. And I'd love to come and, and be a part of whatever you're doing to train your people to be better well, leaders, teachers. If you want to liven up your annual fundraiser, your gala or whatever, uh, <laughs> I have a suspicion you can do that. So I, I, my thoughts, and we're coming to the end of our time here, is that we often approach these differences focusing on the differences mm -hmm. rather than our commonalities and the complements, the different styles. I am very much the visionary guy, and I'm very much the front guy, but I really need that tactical. I, I do tactical because I've done that all my life. Mm -hmm. um, it's not where I like to live, though. <laughs> That's the point. Yeah, it's not where you like to live. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. You understand this now. <laughs> so we sometimes we set up conflict by how we we um, look at people that have different perspectives as the enemy when actually it's a gift if you embrace it. So uh, that it's, it's stirred up my curiosity and my my perspective a lot. So, um, Rick, what do you want to leave people with today? This is very good stuff. I remind people they can go to the nonprofitexchange.org. And they can find this episode. It's got a great title. You can find this episode about leading with style uh, in that thread. And on that page, you can find where to download it on the kind of cell phone you have, um, the so-called smartphone. It's not really smart. It's just fast. So uh, what do you want to leave? What do you want to leave people with today? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, any of your listeners, if you will write to me personally, okay, you can go to my website, manasolutions.org and go into the books area. And you can, we have leading with style, leading with styles there. You can download it for, I think it's a $5 donation to our work, which is pretty, pretty easy. But if you write to me personally, say, I want to know more about leading with style, I will send it to you for free. Just if we can start a conversation. So how about that? You know, I'll send you that free ebook, right? Uh, as far as just some, a closing thought, um, for me, I want to be real. I, I, that's what I encourage in this cyber culture where everything's going plastic and fake. And, you know, we live in an artificially intelligent world. You know, I, I talk about being real and there's three things I try to do every single year, every single day, every single uh, you know, moment that I have. And, and, and I just try to do something every day that's positive and productive right now. It's being on the Hugh Baloo podcast, you know, this Center Vision Leadership Foundation and the nonprofit exchange. I also talk about, I think it's important to do the next right thing. You know, as leaders, a lot of times we don't know what to do. I just say, do the next right thing that's going to get you there. And then finally, as leaders, I think we have to do something new every year. Think about how you can reinvent yourself every year. In, the, in my COVID year, I basically, you know, was sequestered. I was sidelined from doing the work that I was doing. I spent that entire year studying American history. I was shocked by how much I didn't get taught in, in school. 
And so I, I you learn something new, do something new, be something new. And that's, that's how we grow as leaders. Wow. If you only had that last few minutes to be the worth whole thing, Rick Crummy, um, you've been inspiring today. Thank you for being uh, my guest on the nonprofit exchange today. You bet. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the nonprofit exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.